Welcome to the Refinitive Sustainability Perspectives Podcast, where our goal is to engage and inform our audience from investors to asset managers and portfolio managers to sustainability leaders and those involved in ESG and sustainable finance. This is Kisa Shreen. As we are approaching the end of 2020, what a year, right? It's time to summarize the main trends that will shape the ESG agenda in the coming weeks, months, and year. Here with us to discuss this is Dr. Barnabas Axe, Refinitiv's Global Business Director for Sustainable Finance. Barney, welcome back. Thank you. It's great being here again. So we know that the UK has started vaccinations with Pfizer, followed by the US on December 14th. And there are many conversations that are revolving around the economic severity of COVID-19 and the recovery and especially green recovery plans. So Barney, what are the economic implications of COVID-19 and what are the main plans that different countries are looking to adopt now? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. Thank you very much. Um, uh, beware, numbers are coming. Um, the world's GDP has contracted uh, with about 4.4%. Uh, um, this is um, 2.6 times more than during the financial crisis back in 2009. The Eurozone contracted with 8.3%, which is again two times more serious than it was during the financial crisis. And uh, the U.S. has been hit on the economy a little bit less severely because that contraction was about 4.3%, which is 1.7 point more severe than it was in, in 2009. In the unemployment figures, um, what we are seeing is that, you know, the Eurozone unemployment rose to 8%. Uh, that's actually a similar rate of change to what happened in, in back in the financial crisis era. We see compared to the GDP numbers, uh, quite a serious hit in the U.S. markets, which uh, where unemployment basically rose to 8.9% from 3.8%, um, nearly twice as serious as back then on those days. So um, I think what, what this means from an economic perspective, uh, you know, we all remember 2009, I believe, uh, when everything uh, was very seriously hit, is that uh, that COVID created a new sort of reset. Um, it's not just a leap back, you know, you can't really afford to do the old things. The school closures during the pandemic could set back human capital accumulation severely as well. In addition to recovering from near-term recessions, uh, policymakers have to address things like uh, the things that we have discussed earlier, you know, uh, the long-term resilience, the equitable growth, and uh, further pile-up of uh, that. So investments in health, education, and high-return infrastructure uh, projects are are really the way into the future. There is no point in, you know, heavily investing in fossil anymore if you know that it's going to become a stranded asset anyway, and it will go and um, and add to your indebtedness and uh, risk as a, as a country. So hence why we are hearing the very positive news about coming from actually all kind all countries around the globe about about uh, New Deal communications. Uh, you know, top of the list is of course uh, the UK with top uh, with COP26 on the horizon. The UK has made a 350 million green recovery budget. Um, the uh, and they will also issue first green bonds in 2021. And uh, adding to that, they have also communicated a 12 billion 10-point 
plan to net zero transition, which includes offshore wind, hydrogen, um, setting nuclear's um, exact role, um, advancements in electric vehicles, more focus on public transportation, uh, carbon capture and storage facilities, innovation in finance. So Barney, this is great. I love the direction here. If you could look at these, um, go country by country, if we look at just like maybe the top five and think about what this reset, as you phrase it, means for the investment community. Um, and then from that point, take us through some of the big ideas on and the big movements and initiatives that each country has. That would be a great way to approach it. So could we go maybe country by country, just spend a minute or two looking at the top five? Yeah, um, you know, the EU uh, next generation EU recovery fund uh, of uh, 750 billion is um, is known to everybody um, that will basically require member states to allocate 30% of the grants to, to sustainable investments. So that's a um, very significant out, uh, amount of money. Uh, the Biden administration uh, in the US has committed to the Green New Deal, which which of course has the, the five pillars, which is in his um, communication of, of, of the of the campaign. What's really to be called out there, um, adding to the similarities to the UK approach, is that they really do have shown commitments to the old industry communities like coal. So there is a communication of, of not leaving anybody behind. There is, of course, a serious commitment um, into to infrastructure that, that also uh, tackles uh, climate uh, change. And, and, and mitigates the effects there. China, we didn't really have the chance to discuss last time, but that was around the time we last stopped when China made a pledge to, um, to, uh, to make sure that, uh, that emissions peak before 2030 and then that they reach net zero by 2060. Lately, the new prime minister in Japan, Mr. Suga, has committed to country to to become carbon neutral by 2050, and um, he's encouraging investments into green and digital technologies. In and in India, Prime Minister Modi sees infrastructure investment as a key driving force. Of course, he also talked about a national hydrogen energy mission as that is kind of new and, and thrown into the mix. So uh, the countries are active in making commitments to the new era. Mm. And so if we look at countries, for example, if we look at China and people's concern because of um, just China's positioning as an, as an emissions um, emitter, and if we look at the U.S. based on where the U.S. has been um, over the last few years, they're back in the Paris Agreement now, but obviously there was not a lot of focus. What would make the investment community um, really understand and be optimistic about where these specific countries are going in the near term compared to what we've seen from them historically? Oh yeah, that's a, <laughs> that's a very good question. I think although the, uh, the reasons might be different, I think the direction is quite given. In the case of the UK, I believe, uh, especially around Brexit, you would need a new set of communications that, that really points to the future and, and, and helps planning toward, uh, toward the next generation and, and you know, towards uh, 2050, and that's the way forward. In, in, in Europe, who, has, who have always been committed to, to the sustainability goals, it will be very interesting to see all the regulations coming into play in the first part of 2020s um, and all the lessons learned there. We know that China raises a lot of questions, of course. Talking to Sean 
Sean Kidney at uh, Climate Points Initiative, what the very important comment that he made to me when I asked things about this uh, was that China never commits to things that uh, that they think they cannot achieve. So, so that's that's a, a their commitment is a is a pledge on its own. You know, India is um, is is a great question because that's where we see the least of a uh, least of concrete initiatives. We see that renewable energy is getting into the uh, forefront of attention. Prime Minister Modi mentioned that that, that sector would need uh, 20 billion US dollars in, in a year, so in every year to get the, the capacities developed. And um, also says that um, 20 billion is actually in kind of perspective because uh, the, the last couple of years have seen huge investments in north of six, uh, 60 billion US dollars into that sector. Whereas details are are to be seen um, in the in the um, in India's and China's case. I think we can we have a good grounding and a, a good story there. In the case of China, the other important question is, of course, how do they use the Belt and Road Initiative, yes, yes. and um, how do they outsource coal, which is the which is the biggest fear. I think there are. I think the number that I read somewhere is that that there is hundred gigawatts of. Uh, core capacities in construction at the moment and 150 under planning. So obviously um, that has to be handled and we, we will have to see how that's being handled and how those those things are phased out. Barney, is, there, is it accurate to say that new technology will have a role here? I mean, we're talking about coal, we're talking about how each of these governments, economies, countries will be handling and moving toward the green recovery. What role will technology play? Will it be, do you see it breaking down by country? Do you see it breaking down by sector? What role will tech play and how can the initiatives be brought out and explored through technology? Very good question. And as, as you have seen, maybe or um, hopefully it transpired from my earlier comments is that hydrogen is actually playing uh, quite an increasing role in, in this whole mix. Batteries are not really fit for all the purposes that the intermittentness of uh, uh, the uh, renewable energy sources are providing. So, so hydrogen is actually quite a good transition source uh, of energy. Uh, first of all, because it burns, and it's it's a very good thing that it burns because it also can transit fossil fuel heavy industries in a cleaner way, and of course it is also good for um, for storing energy and that being transported. The only problem with with hydrogen is that uh, most of it is currently generated in a in a sort of a gray form. Uh, there are m many colors. The gray means that basically it's um, steam reformation using either natural natural gas or if it's brown coal. In order to for hydrogen to become the sort of the fuel of the future, what has to happen is is at least a blue uh, hydrogen generation, which is the gray with added carbon capture mechanisms, or ideally the green one, where you provide you generate the renewable energy. Use uh, use electrolysis of water and then basically create hydrogen in a in a green way, and that's the sort of the ultimate ultimate um, technology that that we want to reach. Uh, that would help us to uh, to reach those net zero targets that are spreading between 2040 and 2060. Different commitment from from different countries. 
Now, finally, let's look at regulation. We, we are talking a lot about, um, again, looking at the countries separately. And we know from a regulatory standpoint, some countries um, appear to be more advanced than others in terms of the regulations that they have. If we look at the Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation Level 2, we know that got pushed back to 2022. What do you see, Barney, as being um, on the forefront in terms of regulations coming in the near term? Which countries do you feel are going to be on the forefront and what impact will that have for investors? Of course, the SFDR uh, level two has been delayed, but it's very important to mention that level one, which is actually mandating the financial services sector participants, including fund managers and financial advisors to, to report on different ESG metrics, is going to stay in place. So uh, um, these institutions will have to report uh, on, 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 on the ESG uh, side of things uh, come uh, March 2021. It's just they don't have to uh, report based on the uh, the 50 metrics that it's in the uh, that is in the um, technical uh, standards. So it's a very important message that that it's not really a delay. It's a delayed in details, but uh, the activity has to be there. And of course, it creates a, a interesting situations how different market participants are going to go by and, and comply with these uh, regulations. We, of course, are in, in, in very advanced stages as a company to provide services to this. We, will, uh, we, have, we have been very active in the market ourselves as well. We will see how it will play out. But it's very important to, to remind everybody that this is not a delayed uh, regulation, uh, only the details are sort of delayed. In the States, of course, uh, a lot will depend on on the January uh, Georgia uh, elections outcome uh, about the Senate. Uh, that will also determine what kind of tools the Biden administration will have at their hands. This has been, uh, this has been discussed uh, um, a few times also on our podcast, so I wouldn't go into detail in there. But these are the sort of two main markets where, uh, where, where regulatory framework is going to have a major role. And of course, both investment participants, investment managers and financial market participants and both the companies have to be bracing for these kind of new era. Uh, you will have to turn uh, more sustainable, have plans for a carbon pathway that is that is reducing your your footprint. Uh, you will have to be able to report more, and and the list goes on. So, um, welcome to the new era in 2021. I think that's the that's the message. And speaking of the new era, do you see um, mergers going on between some of these regulatory bodies or some of the bodies that create the frameworks? Do you think that's a part of the 2021 era? Yeah, this is this is very interesting, and it's all it's also interesting that it's uh, that it's running very fast, or it's going ahead quite fast. Um, the International um, Integrated Reporting Council (IRCR) and SESB, you know, the uh, Sustainable Accounting Standards Board, uh, have announced their intention to merge into a unified organization, Value Reporting Foundation. Their name would be. Um, this is also coming just a few weeks after a announcement that basically CDP, CDSB, GRI, IR, IRC, and SESB uh, made together that they are that they are committed to to work together to uh, to sort of create a aligned approach on reporting. As you know, we have discussed this, I think, in our first conversation, how difficult it is for companies to um, to report 
and adhere to all these kind of frameworks that are out there. And it's actually very good to see that that there is this um, common language arising and the need arising and actually there is there are steps towards this common requirement that, that to have some more unified and aligned view on on, on sustainable finance and uh, sustainable investing data. Great information, um, Barney. First of all, economic contraction across many countries seem to be more severe um, now with the pandemic than even with the financial crises from over 10 years ago. One of the primary differences we called out is the pandemic is really leading to a substantial reset around resilience, around equitable growth. Um, and there is lots of interest in investing in health and education. Um, overall, more governments are showing commitments to sustainable finance efforts, and the tech will have a huge role, technology that is, will have a huge role in the green recovery. And you pointed out hydrogen representing a good transition source of energy. Um, one of the key questions that we'll all be asking ourselves is how will market participants comply with new regulations? And one thing that we are looking forward to in 2021, among means that we're looking forward to in 2021, is welcoming greater alignment around reporting. Dr. Barnabas Axe, thank you so much for joining us. We invite you to subscribe to the Refinitive Sustainability Perspectives podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your content. What did you think about the podcast? Leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for updates on our show. You can even check us out on YouTube now. Thank you for joining. See you next time.